Welcome to Scary Mysteries, brought to you by Nudon Films. Every Monday, we'll tell you about topics that range from serial killers and UFOs to unexplained mysteries, ghosts, and everything in between. If it's scary and it's mysterious, then we've got you covered. And check us out on YouTube as well if you want to watch each episode. Thanks for tuning in. Five Most Sick and Twisted Kidnappers Kidnapping is the abduction or unlawful transportation of a person, usually to hold the person against his or her will. While reports of these crimes are always shocking, there have been some kidnappers in our history that have taken these acts to the extreme. These are five of the most sick and twisted kidnappers. Number five, Wolfgang Pricklapil. On March 2, 1998, 10-year-old Natasha Kimpoosh was walking to school when a man dragged her inside his white minivan. Her captor then drove back to his home in the Viennese suburb of Strasov and kept her hidden inside a secret cellar under his garage for eight years. Natasha lived inside a 15 by 15 foot room with doors made of concrete and reinforced steel that were hidden behind a cupboard. The tiny room had no windows and was completely soundproof. For the first six months, she wasn't allowed to leave the room. But as the years passed, slowly she was allowed to enter the house and eventually even taken on some outings. If she ever said anything or even made a noise while outside, her captor told her she would be killed. One day when Natasha was 18, she was vacuuming the car when the man walked away to get the phone. The moment he made it inside, Natasha ran around the neighborhood frantically screaming for help. An elderly neighbor let her into her home and immediately called the police. The man who abducted her was a communications technician named Wolfgang Pricklapil. After Natasha's disappearance, an eyewitness account caused the police to interview every white minivan owner that lived in the area. Wolfgang was one of them, but he managed to elude capture. Although not much is known about his personal life, he is suspected of being a pedophile and possibly part of a larger pedophile ring. According to Natasha, he would repeatedly sexually abuse and beat her until she was black and blue, and then take pictures of what he had done to her to keep his mementos. She was purposely starved so she remained physically weak and was often made to walk around the house naked. On the day that Natasha escaped, rather than surrendering to authorities, Wolfgang made his way to the local tracks and killed himself by jumping in front of a train. Number 4. Kenneth Parnell Born in Texas during the Great Depression, Kenneth Parnell had a troubled childhood which he spent most of moving in and out of several mental institutions and juvenile detention centers. In 1951, when he was 20, he was charged with sodomizing a young boy whom he had lured in by pretending to be a police officer. He was arrested, convicted, and imprisoned, but managed to escape. On December 4, 1972, Parnell convinced a friend, Edward Irvin Murphy, to help him abduct a boy. Seven-year-old Stephen Gregory Stainer was walking home from school when Murphy approached him pretending to ask for donations. He asked Stephen if his mother would have something to donate, and Stephen said yes. Murphy asked where he lived and offered to take him home, at which point Parnell pulled up in his white Buick. The three climbed inside but never made it to Stephen's house. 
That night back at Parnell's cabin, the young boy was molested and subsequently raped several days later. When Stephen said he wanted to go home, Parnell told him his parents didn't want him anymore, so they gave him custody. He changed Stephen's name to Dennis Gregory Parnell, keeping his middle name and his real birthday. He enrolled Stephen in various schools as they moved around, and Parnell passed him off as his own son. By the time Stephen started puberty, Parnell began losing interest in him and plotted to lure another young boy. He recruited Stephen to help him, but they were unsuccessful. Later on, Stephen revealed he intentionally sabotaged these kidnappings because he didn't want another boy to suffer. On February 13, 1980, Parnell kidnapped five-year-old Timothy White from right in front of his house. Soon enough, Parnell convinced him that his name was Tommy and had his hair dyed from blonde to dark brown. In the 16 days he was held captive, Timmy formed a strong bond with Stephen who promised to return the boy to his parents. On March 1, 1980, while Parnell was away at work, the two boys hiked to town and luckily chanced upon the police station where Stephen identified Timmy White before revealing his own story. The next day, Parnell was arrested and was tried for kidnapping, which he served five years for. He was never prosecuted for the sexual abuse, but after his release was caught in a sting operation trying to purchase a four-year-old boy. He died in jail in January 2008. As for Stephen, he returned to his family but had difficulty adjusting. With the limelight focused on taking care of him, his brother Carrie felt neglected, and in a very strange twist, eventually went on to become a serial rapist and murderer. He killed a total of five women in California and was dubbed the Yosemite Killer. Number 3. Mark Dutro. His goal was to create an underground city filled with his victims. An unemployed electrician, Mark Dutroux is a Belgian rapist, child molester, and murderer who scrounged up money to survive through muggings, theft, and drugs. By 1986, he escalated and together with his wife, Michelle, kidnapped and raped five young girls. He was caught and sentenced to 13 years, but was released on parole after serving just three. His own mother wrote to the parole board warning them of the consequences of his release, but it fell on deaf ears. Through his very shady dealings, Mark managed to live a life of comfort, owning seven small houses in the city of Charleroi. Four of these would be used as torture chambers for his victims. Mark's first victims after his release were eight-year-old girls Julie Lejeune and Melissa Russo. They were kidnapped together on June 24, 1995. He repeatedly raped them and made pornographic videos to capture the abuse. He kept the girls inside a concealed dungeon in the basement of one of his homes. Next, he kidnapped 17-year-old Anne Marshall and 19-year-old Effa Lambrix. The girls were on a camping trip when they were taken and brought to the same house as the others, but put in another room. He kept them mostly chained up to a bed, and after abusing and raping them for several weeks, eventually he killed them. Mark was in custody for his involvement in trafficking stolen luxury vehicles from 1995 to 1996. It's believed the two eight-year-old girls trapped in the basement starved to death during this time. Once out of jail, he kidnapped 12-year-old Sabine Dardenne while she was walking to school. On August 9, 2006, he abducted Letitia Delhez, who was 14, as she walked home at night from a public pool. 
Luckily, an eyewitness managed to recall a portion of Dutroux's plate number, and so on August 13, 1996, him and his wife were arrested. A search inside his home turned up nothing, but after two days of interrogation, the pair confessed to the crimes. Mark led investigators to the dungeon, where they found the two young girls chained up naked, but still alive. Dutroux received life in prison while his wife was also found guilty serving a lesser sentence. His crimes were considered so heinous that more than a third of the people with the surname Dutroux in Belgium filed to have it changed. Number 2. Philip Craig Garrido When 11-year-old J.C. Duggar went missing, it became national news. On June 10, 1990, J.C. stepped outside her home wearing her favorite all-pink outfit and walked uphill to the bus stop. A car pulled up and thinking they needed directions, she approached. The man in the vehicle surprised her by using a stun gun, shocking her unconscious, and then abducting her. This man was Philip Craig Garrido. Philip drove while his wife Nancy held the girl down as she drifted in and out of consciousness. When they reached their house, a three-hour drive from where J.C. was taken, she was stripped naked and handcuffed. A blanket was placed over her head, and she was ushered towards the back of the house and placed in a tiny soundproof shed. Inside is where Philip raped her during her captivity. When he left, he'd handcuff her and then bolt the door shut so she had no chance to escape. He would visit her daily, bring her food and milkshakes while trying to convince her that she needed to stay with him. Philip was also hooked on LSD and amphetamines, and during these talks, he would alternate between threatening the girl to sobbing and apologizing for what he had done. After 34 months, they allowed J.C. some freedom from her handcuffs, but she would remain inside the bolted room. They gave her cooked food for the first time on April 3, 1994, the same day they informed her that she was pregnant at age 13. J.C. gave birth to the baby and learned about motherhood and caring for children by watching television. Her first daughter was born on August 18, 1993, and her second daughter, November 13, 1997. J.C. was kept hidden from the outside world for 18 years, spending all that time in the shed and makeshift tents and showers built in the backyard. While she and her daughters were allowed outside later on, and J.C. even worked as a graphics designer for Gerardo's small painting business, she still felt she couldn't escape. What's more, for the 18 years Philip held her captive, his parole officers actively monitored him, but none of them bothered to check the backyard or pay attention to the signs and neighbors' reports that there were young girls living there. On August 24, 2009, Philip with J.C.'s two daughters went to seek permission for holding an on-campus special event as part of his God's Desires program at UC Berkeley. Noticing something was off, the manager reported the incident. Once the report was filed, Philip was asked to explain himself for being around two minors, but said they were daughters of a relative and that he had permission to be with them. Despite this being a violation of his parole, they let him off, returned him home and asked him to visit the station the next day to discuss the special event he wanted to set up. On August 26, Philip, Nancy, JC, and the two girls showed up at the station J.C. introduced herself as Alyssa and claimed to be from Minnesota. She explained she was a battered wife who was running from her husband. When the parole officer called a police sergeant, 
Philip finally admitted that he had kidnapped and raped J.C. J.C. was put in touch with her mother that same day. Philip was charged and sentenced to 431 years to life in prison, while Nancy was sentenced to 36 years to life. Today, J.C. lives with her two daughters and mother in an undisclosed city. Number 1. Joseph Fritzl At 18, Elizabeth Fritzl was drugged and shoved inside a homemade cellar in their large family home. The culprit responsible was her own father, Joseph. Born in Austria in 1935 as an only child, Joseph was raised by an abusive single mother who he described as very controlling. Later on, he admitted that he locked his mother inside his attic until she died. By age 21, he had married Rosemary. They had seven children, two sons and five daughters, including Elizabeth. Growing up, the young girl had been abused by her father and attempted to run away with a friend when she was 15, but was promptly returned by police. When she turned 18, she was offered a job at a restaurant, but she never made it to her first day. Instead, on August 29, 1984, she was asked by her father to help carry a door down to the basement. He had been constructing an underground bunker, and this would be the last attachment. Elizabeth held the door while Joseph secured it in place. Without warning, he held an ether-soaked towel to her face, rendering her unconscious, and locked her inside. For years, Fritzl had built the basement cell, and by the end of it, the concealed cellar occupied 590 square feet, with two sleeping areas, a cooking area, bathroom facilities, and three open cells. There were only two access points, a large hinge door and a reinforced steel and concrete door. They were hidden at the back of a shelf inside Fritzl's basement workshop and can only be opened via an electronic remote. Elizabeth was handcuffed to a post for the first two days, and then for the next six to nine months, he used a leash to keep her captive and allow her some movement. According to Joseph, he did this because the metal chain of the handcuffs was hindering his sexual activity with his daughter. For 24 years, she was held captive, and it's estimated her father raped her over 3,000 times. As a result, she would bear seven children three of which were taken upstairs, where Joseph told his wife that Elizabeth dropped off the infants at the door. The entire time, Rosemary believed Elizabeth had run away. These three kids were raised by the dysfunctional family upstairs, while the other four children lived with Elizabeth in the bunker. To add to her humiliation, Joseph would bring boxes of pornographic videos for Elizabeth to watch. He would then ask her to reenact the scenes with him, and this was all done in front of her children. When one of Elizabeth's daughters, 19-year-old Kirsten, suffered kidney failure, Joseph took her to the hospital. The doctors were suspicious because of her severely poor condition, but Fritzl told them a fabricated story about her being part of a cult. Media appeals were given out for the mother to come forward, and Elizabeth begged her dad to take her to the hospital with them, which he eventually did. Police took Elizabeth to a different room and threatened to charge her for child abuse, but she surprised them with a different story than that of the cult, one she promised to tell in detail if she never had to see her father again. She told her story, and Joseph was promptly arrested. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. 
So those were five of the most sick and twisted kidnappers you'll ever hear about. They were diabolical, cunning, and extremely perverse. And there could be more out there right now, in any town, on any street, looking to pick up their next young victim. Thanks for listening, and remember to subscribe and check out Scary Mysteries on YouTube as well for additional videos. I'll see you next week.